in our second week of our new series called Revive, where we want to see the church come alive, not just those of us who are in the building or who are watching in line or who are already a part of our church, though it is for us, but it also for those around us. We want to see people um, come to faith to understand who God is and come to repentance and faith in Him. And last week, we talked about the importance of gathering together, of just being in the same place at the same time, particularly on Sunday mornings in this gathering that we are currently in. It's for our good, it's for our encouragement, it's for our growth. But the question we're kind of talking about this week is, does that mean that something magical happens when we're all in this building together? Um, Does it matter what we do when we're together or if we're together at any time? Is that good for the church? And so I think you know this. The answer to that is no. Um, There isn't something magical that happens just because we show up in the same place, Um, but there is something that can help us, and it is actually one of the marks of a revival that we talked about last week from Jonathan Edwards, um, which is taking the Scriptures seriously. And so as we gather together, we're not focused on each other or what's going on, or even on me, we are focused on God. And as we do that, we are shaped by God's Word in this gathering, both as individuals um, in here and together as a church. And so what we're talking about this morning is how we can be shaped by God's Word as we gather together, and then how this Word reverberates in our lives even as we leave this Place. And so we're just going to jump straight in into the, our first point, which is that we are shaped by the authority of the Word. And so when we think of God's Word, many of us think of the Scriptures, right? We have a Bible um, here. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you. We encourage you to read these often um, and do those things, which is true. These are God's words. These are Scripture. But through Scripture, we see who God really is and what His Word really means, and we actually see that God's Word is several different things. One is God's spoken Word. Um, We started the service this morning reading from Genesis chapter 1, where we see God speak and things come into existence, right? His Word has power. His Word affects what's happening in the world. Um, When He speaks, people listen, right? When He shows up throughout the Old Testament and some of the New Testament, when God talks to somebody, He has their full attention, right? It's no doubt that God is speaking to you um, when that happens. But also, His promises, the things that He speaks, also come true. So we have God's spoken Word that we see where He speaks to us. Then we have the actual Word of God, which we would call the Bible, which is what we read um, most often, is that all Scripture that we are given, everything that is there, are God's words given to us through men inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so these, all of them are God's words. Now, you could argue, if you wanted to be really technical, that some of them are not God's words because they're quotes of men who lived in history. And yes, I understand those words didn't directly come from God, but you, you're with me. You understand what I'm saying in this moment. And so these are God's word, and they have authority um, for us because they are God's word. And then we also saw um, Jesus as God's word. That's what we had for our scripture reading from John chapter 1. That Jesus was the Word, and He was the Word made flesh that dwelled among us so that we could see who God is. And so all of God's words, His spoken words, the Scriptures, and Jesus coming as the Word of God are all for revelation, meaning all of those are to reveal to us who God is and what He is like. 
They help us to see his attributes, that he is holy, that he is powerful, that he is mighty, that he is full of grace. And so all of the characteristics that we know about God come from his word. But we also understand his person, not just, hey, this is a list of characteristics about who God is, but also who he actually is as a person and how he acts and how he interacts with people and that he is loving and caring and kind and all of these other things that go with him. And then in addition to that, we also see his principles, right? Particularly through Jesus of how, like if God was living in the world with us, what would that look like? And so we actually see that in Jesus. And so he gives us his principles, his character, his attributes. We see all of that both through scripture, through the written word of God, and through Jesus as he lives. And just for a second, I just want to focus just on, in particular, what we see and what we can learn about God just from looking at Jesus and what we know about him. First, Jesus reveals to us that God loves us. Right, that God loves us. We have a verse and it says that he demonstrated his love for us, that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Right? We didn't have to clean ourselves up. We didn't have to be perfect. We didn't do anything. We could still be sinners and he still came and died for us. That's how much he loves us. We see through Jesus that God rescues sinners. We see Jesus particularly talk about this concept when he says, All right, when I came, I came for the sick. For those who are in need of a physician, for those who need to be healed, for those who are stuck in slavery and sin, he came to free them. Through Jesus, we also see that God pursues us and that he doesn't need to be appeased. Now, here's what that means. Um, For most other belief systems, most of their gods, you actually have to do certain things to appease them, to get their attention, to get their favor. But for God... There's nothing we can do to get his attention and find favor with him and earn his uh, blessings, essentially. So he pursues us with grace and with faith, right? And we see through Jesus that God moves towards us, right? Sending his son into the world is him moving towards where we are, actually living among us, becoming a part of the world, So he sent him to live among us, to do these things. But then also that God sacrifices, right? Again, in other belief systems, their gods are not sacrificing for the people. It's not happening. This is a unique thing to Christianity, that God sacrifices his only son for us, for our good, so that we could be saved. So we see that God saves, right? Jesus' death for us as our substitute to stand in the place for our sins and take our punishment so that as we trust in him and believe in him and confess that we could have salvation, that we could have life. And so that's just a handful of things that we see through just the life of Jesus and what God reveals to us. And so I want us to understand that, that we can see lots of things about who God is, but why it's important to understand that those things, who Jesus is, his word, the scriptures, and God's word has authority in our lives, why we need that authority. And I think it's important because of the current cultural moment that we are living in. Because in our lives right now, if somebody says something, if you hear something on TV or you hear something on a podcast or you see it on social media, it must be true. That's the world we live in. I heard it on the news, I heard it on TV, social media, or somebody repeated it, or somebody liked it, or somebody shared it, so it must be the truth. 
right? That's the world we live in. And in addition to that, we have this other thing that I think is happening broad, broader in our culture that I think we're going to be dealing with actually for a long time, and it's the concept that experience equals truth, right? What I have experienced is true, and so you cannot argue with my experience because that is the reality of the way the world works. Now, there's a whole bunch of things like what happens if I have a different experience than you and then our experiences are in conflict and how do we determine? It's a whole thing. But just know that's the mindset of the world around us, that what you have experienced is actually the truth. And so our culture is telling us that we are the authority, that you are the authority, right? That you are basically on your own to determine what is true and what is right to figure out who you're supposed to be, what your identity is, what you're supposed to do, what you were created for, what your purpose, how you can be fulfilled, all of that is on you. Now, that might sound good, but to me, that sounds like a big responsibility that I'm responsible for all of those things. Because what if it takes me longer to figure that out? Or what if I get it wrong? Or what if I don't understand? Or what if I'm not smart enough? Or whatever all these things. Like, that's a lot of pressure for me to figure out all of that stuff by myself. If only there was a way for us to get some help in that department of understanding our identity and who we are and what is actually truth. I think hopefully most of us in this room who are listening um, would say that's what God's word is for us. It is the truth that helps us to navigate all of those things. It helps us understand who we are. It helps us navigate our identity. It helps us find our purpose. Right? Who better to understand what you were created for than to talk to the one who actually created you? Right? That seems like a helpful thing to do. And so he is uniquely positioned to help us understand who we are and how we fit into the world and what is actually reality. And so that's why God's word for us in particular in this moment is important because the world around us says, no, you get to be the authority. You get to determine what is true and what is not. I think we see this all over the world right now. But then we get to like the question of, but how does that authority shape us? How does it change us? If we're under God's authority and we believe that it's true and we trust in it and we read it and we seek it, how does that actually shape us or change who we are, how we see the world? And I think just being here and hearing the word again and again and again changes our perspectives, it changes our desires, and it changes our worldview. So, for example, I think there's a, it's a pretty common belief in the world. I think if you would ask people if people are basically good or basically evil, um, I, depending on the day, I would say, most people would probably say people are basically good, right? Which is a fine thing to think. However, if you read the scriptures, the scriptures make it really clear that people are basically evil, like bad. We're terrible sinners who would destroy and destroy everything, and we're selfish, and we take everything for ourselves if we're left to our own devices. Now, why is that important? One is, if you believe that everyone is good, then the solution to making a better, the world a better place is knowledge, education, effort, Right? If we just try a little harder, if we're just all a little nicer to each other, if we just learn a little more, if we just figure out this new system, if we just try this new thing, then we can solve all of our problems. But if you believe everybody is evil 
and wicked and sinful from the get-go, then you know, hey, those things might help a little bit, but eventually those are all going to crumble. And the only real answer is to actually deal with who we are at the core, which is sinful and selfish. So that's what the gospel says, right? We are evil, we are sinners, we are in need of redemption. And the only answer to a better world is to be saved through Christ, to be changed from the inside, right? And and then all of those tools that we talk about actually, right? Education and knowledge and all of these other things can actually help us because we have a redeemed people behind them making them work. So that's just one example of what being shaped by the Word does for us. It helps us even see how we see and interact with the world. The, the harder part is we have to actually submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture, not Scripture to our authority. Right? So we read what's there and we believe it and we trust it and we say this is God's Word and has authority and I believe it no matter what the world around me says about what I just read in here. Not, this is what I believe, this is what I like, this is who I want to vote for, this is all of the things that I want to do. And so when I read it, if those things disagree with what I really want to do, I just skip those parts. Right? Or I say those aren't valid or those aren't true or that's for 2,000 years ago, it's not for now. Right? Submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word means we buy in for all of it. Right? It doesn't submit to our authority and who we are or who we want to be. We submit to it. And if you think that's really hard to do, my best example of this is Jesus himself, right? who said, I don't, while he was on earth, he said, I don't do what I want to do. I do what the Father tells me to do, what he sent me here to do. And so if the Son of God says, the perfect Son of God who doesn't sin, says, I just do what God tells me and submit to his authority, I think it's probably a good idea for us to try to do the same. And so we see that the word shapes us, right, as individuals, as people. When we're talking about this, we're talking about reading the word and listening to the word and applying the word to our individual lives. But I think the word also shapes us corporately together as believers. And so we are, I think, particularly shaped, building on what we saw last week, we are shaped by the word through preaching and through singing. So these are the main things that we do in our worship service. We preach and we sing. Those are the main, the bulk of the time we spend. We have other elements um, like the call to worship, like scripture readings, like confessions or responsive readings and prayers. All of those are built on the word but we focus our time on singing and on preaching. And so we're going to look at two sets of verses here um, to help us understand how preaching and singing together in this gathering um, help, us shape, help shape us in the Word. And so the first is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, it's just a couple of verses. You can turn there if you want, um, or you can follow along. Um, I don't have the page number, but I think it's in your bulletin. And so this verses in 2 Timothy... This is Paul writing to Timothy, um, his young protege who's kind of learning how to be a pastor. And so this is what Paul tells Timothy to help him understand what to do. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. 
For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. What's always interesting to me sometimes is, even though this was written like 2,000 years ago, it feels like it was written yesterday. Right? This is the same things that we are still dealing with 2,000 years later. So I, if we think we're going to solve it, I think sometimes we're kidding ourselves. But hopefully we do. But we see in here lots of instructions. One is to preach the word. Right? Timothy's calling is to preach the word to his church, to teach the scriptures. Right? It's not the job of a preacher to have the authority. It's not his job or his place to make stuff up. His authority comes from the word. Think of it like, um, like this. Think of it like delivering the mail. Right? It's my job as a preacher to be the mailman. Right? I don't write the letters. I don't make up the information. It's my job to take what God has given me and given us in the Word and to deliver that message faithfully to you. That means I don't open the mail before you get it and I change some of the things and I scratch some out and make it different so that when you hear it, it sounds different than the original message. It also doesn't mean I throw some of it out because it feels like junk mail, right? We get all of the word. That's my job is just to deliver the mail. It's not to make stuff up. It's not actually to give you my opinion. And I try to do that as little as possible to give my actual opinion on what's happening. I just want to be guided by the scriptures. All right, it's my job to just deliver the mail, to deliver what God has already given us to you. And he says to do that, right, all the time, in all seasons, Right? There isn't a season, there isn't a time, there isn't an event where you don't preach the word. Whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient, whether there's madness going on in the world around us, whether you feel like you're supposed to speak to everything that happens in the news, in season, out of season, convenient or not, we preach the word. And I think this is, this is a shift, maybe not some of you, but Maybe our kids or grandkids are going to experience this. Whether Christianity is a major worldview or a persecuted worldview, you still preach the word. It doesn't matter what the season is. You still preach the word. Then he, but why? Why does he tell us to preach the word? Because the word does three things. You see them there. It corrects, it rebukes, it encourages. Right? It corrects those in error. It rebukes those who are in sin, and it encourages those who are living faithfully. And at some point, whether we like to admit it or not, all of us need all of those three at some point, right? If you think, well, I only need encouragement because I don't ever do anything wrong and I'm never in sin, um, just ask your friends. They can probably help you um, understand why that may not be true. Um, but we need all of those. All of us need all of those. And so... Um, I'm trying to do a good job at balancing those as we go through the scripture. I know one of my weaknesses is actually I'm not always very encouraging. Um, it's just not my natural personality for whatever reason, but I'm working on balancing these three is of correction, of rebuking, of and encouraging us together because that's what the word does. 
But listen to what's happening. He doesn't just say, oh, do this because it's important or do this because you might fall away. What he actually says is, people are multiplying preachers, multiplying teachers who tell you what you want to hear. People who are not listening to the word, who are not preaching the word, who are not just delivering the mail, but who are changing it and adapting it and bringing in other things, right? Not just listen to them, but multiply them. And I think for us, we kind of live in an age where multiplying teachers is easy to understand because in the internet age, if somebody does something and it's successful, there's about I don't know, thousands of people behind them trying to copy what they did to do exactly the same thing. So if one guy saying one thing gets a lot of followers and a lot of attention, you can bet there's going to be a whole bunch of people coming behind him to try to do the same thing. And so multiplying teachers and multiplying false teaching and all of these things to pull us away from the Word of God is something I think we can easily understand in our day and age. Right, But we listen to the Word so that we won't turn away from God, so that we can stay focused on what He's asking us to do. This is why we preach the Word, so we won't turn to our own desires, so we won't follow just what we want to hear, but to be put back on the right path, to be encouraged to keep going. Right, This is why we preach the way we do in this church, why we typically just go straight through a book of the Bible. Right? This is why we preach expositionally, which means the meaning of the passage should be the meaning of the message. So if you read the scriptures that we're going to preach on before you show up, if my sermon is about something completely different than what you read during the week, I have failed because I'm not giving you the meaning of the passage. I'm not just delivering the mail. I'm giving you something else. And so hopefully this means that this church is not shaped around me it's shaped around the Word of God. That I'm being faithful in delivering that Word to you and explaining what it means so that God's Word is actually shaping us, not just me, or definitely not me. Which means, and I don't plan on this happening anytime soon, but if I dropped dead next week and somebody else came in here and understood their job was to preach the Word and deliver the mail to you, there wouldn't be that much difference in what we're doing and where we're headed and what's happening with us as a church because the call is to preach the word. And that's why we do it. And then we get to the other side, and for that we're going to look at a verse in Colossians chapter 3 where we talk about the singing of the word, something we don't, I don't think people preach about very often, but we're going to give it just a minute because I think it's important for us to understand. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so what does it say? It says, we teach and admonish one another through the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Right? Did you, did you catch that? Through them, we can teach, we can correct, we can encourage one another through singing. That's what this verse is telling us. It also tells us to sing with gratitude. 
right? Are you thankful for what God has done for you? Then sing about it. You don't have to sing loud. You don't have to sing on key. But you should sing. It's good for you. Now, for those of you who are like, why is he asking me to sing? I really don't want to do that. I totally understand. I, I know when people meet me, they're always like, this guy looks like he's just joyfully singing everywhere he goes, right? That's what everybody thinks about me when they first meet me. No, I, I don't sing really anywhere else unless I'm trying to annoy my kids at home. Um, then I do some singing. Um, but other than that, I don't. I come across as a serious person, that's fine. Um, but what I'm, my challenge to you is, if you don't sing, you're missing out. Right? You're missing out on the blessings of singing together with your congregations. You're missing out on the blessings of, I think, feeling the Holy Spirit's presence a little more fully when you're singing. And regardless of where we are or where we're trying to do with our music as a church, one of the benefits of the simplicity of our music, of only having one instrument and one person singing is, when you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to wonder if it's because of the music and the production on stage, right? You can know it's because it is the Spirit, because we are doing things so simply. So I think that's a benefit. But what does it actually look like for us to encourage one another when it, with, through singing, right? How does that help us shape in the Word as we sing together? And just a couple of things. Um, one of them is, you guys don't are really in this, in this meeting, but as a staff, every week we kind of evaluate what happened in the service and what's going on. And so one of the questions we started asking recently is, was the gospel clearly presented in the sermon and in the songs? Right. So if you didn't hear any of the sermon and you only sang the songs, would you be able to understand what the gospel is? And so we intentionally choose songs that reflect the gospel, whether those are traditional songs or whether there were songs written last week. We are evaluating, we are looking, we are reading the words to make sure that they fit with what we believe about the gospel. And there are songs that are popular lots of other places that we don't sing because we're not convinced that they do a good job of leading us to the gospel. A lot of them are borderline making it about us instead of about what God has done. And so we don't want people leaving here thinking that, hey, I'm basically good or I'm super important, right? But to understand truly who we are in Christ. So we want good, God-centered, gospel-centered songs. And one of the things we do, and I know this because I talk to Jeremy, but I, he doesn't always explain everything we do because we don't have time really for that. But I know some of the traditional songs that we sing, we sing them a little bit differently or a little bit slower, or we give pauses between the verses, which some of you are not used to. And we understand that. But one of the reasons we do that is actually to give you time to look at the words and to reflect on them and let them sink in. So we don't just sing them straight through and then we get to the end and we don't realize what we've, we've been singing. And so some of those pauses, some of the things that we do are to reflect on what you are learning in the songs. So we're, we're, we're trying to sing gospel-centered things so that we can encourage one another. We can even be corrected through how we sing together. 
And like I said last week, it's an encouragement to the other people who are here who know this person is, doesn't really like singing, but if you turn around and you see them singing, you will be encouraged because you realize we love what Jesus did for us enough that for 10, 15 minutes on a Sunday morning, we might sing a couple of songs about it, right? So let's sing together and be encouraged because at the end, what he tells us is, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God through Christ. Whatever you do, whether it's preaching, whether it's singing, as we go out into the world, we worship, and the word reverberates in our lives. And so we are shaped as the word reverberates among us. And so the first two points probably weren't groundbreaking for you. Right? I think at a basic level, most of you listening understand the Scripture has authority in your lives. I think we also understand we can be shaped by preaching and singing, which is why we're still doing them and why people have done them historically for hundreds of years. But I think this, the, what we're talking about now might be a new concept or actually a new way to think about this concept for many of you. And so we're talking about um, the idea of reverberation of the Word. And so I asked some people, that means, that's code for my family, last night, what reverberation means. Um, and you got to be careful in the ages of smartphones, because um, people can Google real fast. Um, but outside of the Google answer that we got, I'll include it in a second, but the, the things we got were echoes, right? And reverberation means it echoes, or it's constantly moving, right? It's bouncing around, it continues going, or it's a prolonged sound. And so the way I want us to think about it, I think is a little more visually, is think of it like ripples in a lake. When the lake is smooth and you throw a rock in it, you see the ripples, and they go out and they go out and they go out. But eventually, it goes back to normal, right? If you just leave it alone, it goes back to where it was. But for us, the word shouldn't just be one rock that we drop in the lake on Sunday when we listen to the sermon, or even just one rock as we read it throughout the week. It should keep going. Think of how the word could reverberate through our church, right? We read the word on Sunday mornings. The preacher brings the word for the whole church. The church members respond by taking God's word into their mouths and hearts through singing and through prayers. The members of the church teach the word to themselves. That means hopefully you're applying some of what you're learning and hearing to your own life. Then every member teaches the word to those around them, those in your family, those in the next generation. And so you teach it to others. You talk about it with other people. So I'm essentially arguing that every member of our church has been called in some capacity as both a student and a teacher of the Word. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much you think you know or think you don't know, you can help lead somebody else into a deeper relationship in Christ. You can lead them to follow the Word more closely. Right? You can do that because we're shaped by the Word, so the only requirement technically would be to be here on a Sunday morning and listen to the Word and take what you learned and tell it to somebody else. 
But what, is that, like, what would that actually look like in our lives if we were to make the word reverberate through our congregation? Well, hopefully you're reading the word, right? Not just here, but also on your own throughout the week. Another thing you can do is you can just call or text somebody during the week and say, how can I pray for you? Right? It takes two minutes to do that. Even if you're dialing a phone, which I don't think anybody's dialing a phone, you're just pushing that button with their name on it. Right? It just takes a couple of minutes to say, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Or I saw you serving in children's ministry. I saw you unloading pumpkins, and I just wanted to call and say thank you and encourage you to continue serving our church. You can take some time to pray or pray through the scriptures. Use one of the Psalms to guide you in your prayers. You can memorize scripture. You can meditate on scripture. You can ask other people the question, what is God teaching you right now? Again, this is not just an individual thing. This is a community thing. Right? Church is a group project. We're all in this together. And so my goal for us as a church is to think about Brentwood Bible Church as having our own lake. And every time somebody does something with the word, it's like a rock being dropped in the lake and we see the ripples. And so the goal that I have for our church is that our lake would never be still. That we would drop rock after rock after rock after rock after rock into our lake. And so the ripples are actually getting bigger and bigger and crashing into each other and bouncing off of each other. And it becomes this amazing picture of our life where the word is reverberating through all of us. Right? Not just we go home and I do my thing and I drop my one rock or two rocks in during the week, but that my rock affects other people. And I'm reaching out to others and talking to them and calling them and encouraging them and reading the word with them. So our goal is that our gospel reverberation never ends. It just keeps going. And we need to be shaped by the word to do that, but also because... I think if we aren't shaped by the word, then we're going to be shaped by something else, right? That's the danger for us. If you don't take the authority of God's word seriously, then something else is going to shape you. Something else is going to build your worldview. Something else is going to convince you maybe, hey, you're a pretty good person. I think that's enough to get you into heaven. But that's not how it works. Right? The authority of God's word is important. Also because as we come together, as we sit here, as we listen, as we engage with God's word, it shapes all of us together. I was, I was listening, and this is a concept that preachers think about a lot is... Um, like, by Wednesday, how many of you actually remember anything that I said on a Sunday morning? Right? And it's challenging sometimes as a pastor to think, I don't think if I asked, anybody could tell me. But I heard something encouraging. Um, it, was, it was, I think, a good analogy is, um, think of the word like, like eating a meal. Now, 
how many meals do you like actually remember eating? Maybe a handful that were special to you or important moments or were so good or so bad, right, that they're stuck in your memory. But you still ate all of those meals. They still fed you. They still nurtured you. They still made you healthy. Right, and so I think that was a helpful, at least for me and hopefully for you, right, even if we don't remember every sermon, you may have some that you remember, some good ones or bad ones or some that came at an especially good time, but that doesn't mean that the Word isn't shaping us, isn't feeding us, isn't changing us, isn't keeping us healthy. Now, that doesn't mean you can just forget everything I say immediately, please. Um, or what the Word says. But I think it helps us to realize we are actually being shaped together as we all hear the Word together. It is changing us. It is making us different. It is bringing us together as we listen to it, even if we can't always say, well, this sermon was on this, and this was on this, and this was on this, and two series ago, this is like, that's okay. But we are being shaped by the Word. And one of the things it is doing is it is shaping us into a family that is different than the world around us. And that's actually what we're going to talk about next week, is how the Word shapes us into some, a group who is united by Christ and what He has done for us and how that makes all the difference and actually looks completely different than what the world understands of family and of groups and of relationships. So the authority of God's Word shapes us. That's why I'm encouraging you to keep coming, to keep watching this particular gathering, because this is the main place where we are shaped by the Word. We guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you. We thank you for your Word, both your, your spoken Word, right, which is evidenced all around us in creation, of, of trees and animals and, and sun and wind and hopefully rain. God, we thank you for your word of the scriptures given to us that are trustworthy, that are sufficient, that are authoritative. We thank you for the word made flesh in Jesus who came and he lived among us, that all of those things reveal who you are, that all of those things reveal how you care for us, how you love us, how you pursue us, how you save us, how we can be with you. And so I pray as, as we leave here that we would be shaped by your word. It would help us to navigate the world around us. It would help us to understand our identity. It would help us to understand what's happening in the culture around us and how we can stay focused on you when others may lead us in a different direction. God, but just help us to have your word reverberate, to echo, to be constantly going in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Right, that this, this is our group project. You have brought us together for this, that we would work together, that we would encourage one another, that we would correct where needed and, and rebuke as well. God, help us just to love you and to love each other so much that we can't help but doing this can't help but living out your word in our lives and encouraging that in the lives of others. So help us to trust in your word above all else. It's in your name we pray. Amen.